Welcome back, imposters. How are we doing? Welcome back. We're good. Speaking for everyone here. Yeah, we're good. Good. We're good too. Thanks for asking. Um, I like how we're using the royal we. Yes. (laughs) Keep it up. Exactly. Um, Speaking of royal, we had a true uh, royal queen on our episode today. <laughs> that, oh, she's going to love that so much. <laughs> that is called a professional segue, folks. That's how it's done in the biz. And um, yeah, I was so happy to meet Stephanie, Monica's friend, um, who is just has her own consulting product manage- management business and just like super cool to talk with. We talk about leadership styles, like having to mold to others' leadership styles, whether we should have to mold. And it was just a great conversation. Spoiler alert, we shouldn't. We should not, but we do. Why do we do that? Keep listening. We'll find out. (laughs) Um, And also make sure you stay until the end where Taylor drops some freaking knowledge bombs about how easy it is to return all that stuff you buy from Amazon and never really use. (laughs) Wasn't sure that was going to be kept in, but sounds like it is. So uh, if you're afraid of returning things to Amazon, fear no more. I got you covered. It's easier than you think. And um, yeah, start start returning those towels you never used or that fully assembled coffee table, you know? Um, it, it'll or take that anything. ring light that you think might explode at any moment. Or that ring light that makes a noise that only dogs can hear, um, out of that pitch. (laughs) I believe it was the pitch that they use to like, um, like sedate animals. Um, that was the pitch coming out of my ring light. So it had to be returned. Uh, and it was not, it was not working for me. (laughs) Maybe it was just a ring light for dogs. You know what? That could have been it though. You're the one that sent it it. to me. So I don't think so. Maybe not. So let's get this show on the road and here we go with, uh, Miss Stephanie Shaw coming to you live or, I mean, not live pre-recorded. I'm going to stop talking. Here we go. Enjoy. Stephanie Shaw is a product leader who helps tech companies scale by delivering innovative and impactful products with 10 years of product management experience. Stephanie has worked at both early and late stage companies and across verticals such as gaming, ad tech, AI analytics, and design tooling. Most recently on the senior leadership team at vidIQ, she was responsible for building the product function and enabling her team of PMs, analysts, and designers to exceed business goals. Outside of product development, she's passionate about real estate, traveling, and being the best dog mom to her pup Harley. Welcome, Steffi. We're so happy to have you. Thank you both for having me, and thanks for the generous introduction. I should have you introduce me in every meeting. I took a lot of it from your website, so I think it's it's partially your introduction. Oh, okay, okay. So I did a good job. There. But it, you did a great job. But if you ever want me to just like come to a meeting and read it out loud for you, yeah, yeah that that would be great. I, I will I, take you up on that. Yeah, but, um, we can definitely work that out. Awesome. <laughs> um, so let's dive in with a, with a little backstory here. Cause I know for a fact, we went to school together, um, and to college together, I should say, 
And I know that you were not studying product. I don't even know if you can study like product in, in college, but you weren't a business major or like a, an econ major, like a design major or whatever the other things. Um, you were a psych major. So how did you end up in product and at your first job as a PM um, at the Game Show Network? And, and also what, like originally, you know, when we were like sophomores, juniors, what did you think that you were going to be doing with your life at this point? That's a great question. I, I wish I had a better understanding of my life at that point. <laughs> um, but I, in high school, I was really interested in creative writing so I actually thought I was going to go to college, major in English, maybe become a writer of sorts uh, after graduating college. And obviously I didn't go that direction at all. So like you said, I majored in psych in school um, and I really just majored in psych because I thought it was interesting. Like I really just liked understanding how people's brains worked and why they thought the way they thought. Um, and what happened after I graduated, like you said, unless things have changed today, I don't think they teach product management in college. So I didn't even know what product management was when I graduated. And so my internships all throughout uh, college were in PR and marketing, like working for different agencies. So truthfully, I thought I'd end up doing something like that. And so when I graduated, I started interviewing like everyone else at random companies. And I actually accepted a job offer at an ad agency. And I, I don't even know the name of it. I like, I barely remember who I talked to there, but um, it was not going to make me happy. Like I just got an offer and I was like, oh, you're supposed to accept an offer. I didn't negotiate at all. I just was like, great, I have a job. Um, it was in like a dark office. Everyone was like over 70 years old. Um, but I was like, I have a job. So I accepted it. And then literally the next day, a family friend of mine was like, I know this person over at the game show network, you should connect with them. Um, and I was like, well, I just took a job. Like, I guess a conversation can't hurt. And so I walked into the GSN office, which was in Waltham outside of Boston at the time. And it was like a dream come true for a, a young 20 something person. Like it was bright. Everyone was young. They had snacks in the kitchen. Like what more could you ask for? Right. Um, and so I met with the team, the product management team, and they explained the role to me and we're kind of like, yeah, you're going to like prioritize things and like work in this program called JIRA. I was like, I don't really get what that means, but like, sure. You guys are awesome. Like I want to work here. And so it, it was interesting because it was kind of my first experience, like advocating for myself a little bit because I, I had just taken this other job. Um, and so I was sort of like, listen, like you got to expedite the process for me. I really want to work here. Um, I just connected with the team so well. And so they did like they, they expedited the interview process into like two days, gave me the job offer. Um, and then I ended up going back to that ad agency you know, and having to sort of explain the situation. And they were very gracious, I remember. And, and that's really like how I fell into products. Like it was not intentional, um, but I'm so grateful that that happened because I definitely wouldn't, you know, have found my career passion otherwise. And so um, that's really how it all unfolded. 
did you have a mentor when you were at GSN or from day one where you just kind of like going with the flow and sort of like figuring things out? No, I had, I had a great mentor there who's still a mentor to me today. And I think that's so important, especially in your first role. Like you really need to build that foundation because I've had some really challenging roles for a lot of different reasons after that. And I think if I hadn't spent those like first three years with a really strong team, with really strong leaders, people who invested in me, like I took that job with no experience. And so they really took a chance on me being like, maybe this girl can do something. And so that's also something I've kept with me throughout my career is like, sometimes you just need to give someone a shot and like give them the opportunity to prove themselves. And that's just one of many things I learned from starting out there. I think another cool thing about that whole story is that you just took a chance, like going to talk to someone and it's just a really good lesson for people that you never know, you know, you never know what's, what's around the river bend. Like you can, you know, just chat with someone and then really connect and regardless of what the role is, like you didn't even know what that role was, but you connected so much with the people and the culture. And that's like number one, most important thing about job. So like for us, you know, people reach out on LinkedIn, like sometimes it is worth just hearing people out and just, you know, you never know what you can kind of stumble upon. And the best time when you're not actually looking for something and you had accepted a role. So you were probably like, not that nervous. Like you had, you at least had something in your back pocket, although it sounds pretty, uh, dismal that, that (laughs) that opportunity, but, but I'm sure that like played a role in just kind of feeling more confident, even going for a role that you had never heard of. Yeah. I think that's such a good point. Like the people matter so much. And and I still say that to this day, like when I interview, I'm like, there's two things that really, really matter to me. It's the team and it's the product itself. And I think like, ideally you get the best combination of both of those, but like, especially when you're just starting out or if you're making a career move, you need to have people who are are investing in you and who you feel comfortable going to with, with the different sort of like challenges or to, to get guidance on things. And so that's, I think that's such a great point. Especially as women too, like you, you could hear the coolest company, this brand new startup. And if you walk in and like, for us, if it's a team of like five dudes that mm-hmm. then it's like, I mean, you know, not always is it's not always bad, but like, it says something about it. It could be the coolest company like going that, you know, sounds um, like an amazing opportunity, but if the people are not supportive and open and you can really learn from them, like, and be comfortable around them, it just doesn't matter. Like you're going to be miserable. So. Yeah, absolutely. And with product, I, I think it's a bit more of a level playing field than engineering in terms of men versus women working in product, but it still skews more heavily. Like there's just more male product managers, I imagine. Right. Yeah, I think it is a little bit more even, but in almost all of my roles, like I look around the room and I'm very often the only woman. Um, And so there's definitely still like a gender gap. And obviously as product managers, we work a lot with engineers and there's definitely a bigger gender gap there. Um, So yeah, it's it's different in different roles. And, And truthfully, like my best experiences have been with companies where there is that diversity. Yeah. So that was, that was sort of leading into my next question. Um, I know at one point you were managing a team of like 30 engineers, right? Like some insane amount. 
and I'm guess I'm guessing that at least you know like half of those were were men probably more um did you ever feel like you needed to work harder to earn like their trust and respect as the product manager yeah you know like I just mentioned I I've always been aware of of the the gender gap um because when I look around I notice it I think when I was an ICPM working with IC engineers I never really felt less than or that I had to work harder because I was a woman I feel like I I was really lucky and I had really great teams that were inclusive and collaborative and we were just sort of like in the weeds together trying to get stuff done um i think it really wasn't until i started working in a leadership role or working more heavily with leaders where i started to feel that um that difference a little bit truthfully so i think i was like a little bit uh naive or unaware of of things earlier in my career and as i progressed it became more transparent and i think you know in different leadership roles certain power struggles start to surface. Um, and one thing I learned really early on in my career, um, like, you know, even, even back at GSN is I'd watch how leaders at the company would handle themselves in stressful situations. Um, like would they freak out Would they throw things Would they yell, um, or would they try to be really constructive and productive and, and solve the, the problem at hand? And, what I saw was that the leaders that I wanted to emulate myself after most uh, were very calm and collected and really just wanted to get to the root of sort of like, what's happening in this situation? How do we solve it? How do we learn from it? And because that was so impactful in my career early on, that, that was really the leadership style that like I wanted to go after for myself. And so um, like you'll never hear me in a room yell at anyone or try to like publicly shame someone like that's just not my style and I understand everyone has different styles but what I noticed as I as I got into more leadership roles or more leadership interactions um, that there were like a few incidents where I was working with men um, who had a perspective that like the loudest voice in the room is the best voice um, and so because I'm not going to be the one who's going to like yell and freak out and show all my, all my emotions in like a very visible way. Um, I, I think that was perceived in some instances as weak leadership, uh, my leadership being weak. And that doesn't mean I won't get into healthy debate. That doesn't mean I won't voice my opinion. I'm just not reactive because I don't think it's productive. Like I want to get to the root of the problem, like the, the leaders that I saw that I wanted to emulate and figure it out and move on and learn from it. Um, and so I think that those types of situations that I was in, um, were like, you know, I was working with some men who were very reactive, um, and perceived me to sort of be like weak in terms of my leadership was a really interesting learning experience for me. And I had to sort of level set and be like, well, do I want to change my leadership style to match that, um, and to be at par with that, or do I want to sort of stay true to what I believe in, in my leadership style and what I've seen work with other leaders um, that I really believe in. Um, and it was eye-opening for sure. Like it, it was really, really challenging to go through that and feel like you've worked so hard to, to 
build your leadership style and your leadership skills. And then to have that sort of shot down in certain instances and it, and it makes you feel weak when you feel like people perceive you to be weak. How did you get around that then? Did you like have to explain it to them or was it kind of like the proofs in the pudding? I'm getting the results. Like don't question my tactics. I mean, as a reactive person, it's like takes so much more restraint and like control. And I mean, just so much more to not be reactive. Like I can't even imagine (laughs) saying that you should be that's nuts. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I think it was both of that, of both of what you said. Um, like we, we did talk about it and I did almost, you know, like cave in certain instances and say like, you know, I had to self-reflect and say like, well, well, is this week? Like, let me double check that I'm holding my team accountable. Like, let me double check that I'm actually learning from this and taking productive steps and not getting into this scenario again. Um, So it definitely made me self-reflect. I definitely had conversations with these other leaders about, about this scenario. And I, I think ultimately, like you sort of do have to mold to the people you're working with if you want to be productive together, like you're a team, right? So I, I think I tried to learn how these people lead and try and like, I don't want to say mold, but sort of like work with that style of leadership. Um, but after doing my own self-reflection, like, you know, my team was really like motivated and productive because they felt like they had, you know, a supportive leader who wasn't going to freak out on them, who was still holding them accountable, but um, in a different sort of way than, than some, some other leaders that we're working with. And so I think, uh, I think it's sort of like a combination of all that. And truthfully, I'm still learning as I go, right? Like the next company I work with could have a totally different type of leadership style, but that's one thing that's sort of top of mind for me now is, learning how to work with different styles, right? Knowing that I, I have my own style, which might be different. But what sucks is like, are they molding to you? Like, it sounds like okay. they're just telling you how they think it's best. And it's such like a female trait to be like, okay, yes. Like, let me adjust, let me adapt to this situation. And like, that's so annoying, <laughs> especially when you know your ways better. <laughs> No, it totally, I mean, I, that's such a good point. You're totally spot on. Like, I think <laughs> women inherently, I don't want to like bucket us all together, but you do see yeah. it very frequently where, where we're trying to accommodate other yeah. people. And like, I definitely fall victim to doing that. You know, it's like, I just want to work together. I want to be in a happy environment. Um, but sometimes like, it might be better for me to cause a little bit of conflict just to sort of like get a point across or to get, you know, the men I'm working with to, to mold to me, um, which I have not done nearly enough. And so I think that's a really interesting topic. I would also venture to say that the, um, the leaders that you've worked with in the past, who have a more explosive and, and reactive style of leadership were probably not referred to as being, um, bossy or shrill or crazy um whenever they would throw a tantrum it was probably more like oh you know he's a I don't even know the strong a, leader a strong leader that's yeah, exactly what you were sounds, saying it sounds so yucky coming out of my mouth but I feel like that's um that's what it would be said whereas you know we've we've had done a few interviews now with 
with women who work in, in tech leadership. And one thing that we always talk about is that there's just, there's no way to win because you're either, um, you're too, you're too accommodating or you're, or you're too soft and you're seen as weak or you're too assertive and you're bossy and, you know, people don't want to work with that either, but there's apparently no way to find a middle ground either, or like a gray area. Yeah. I was just thinking that because I've been listening to all of your podcasts and first of all, like all, all these podcasts that you're doing are so relatable. Like every time I heard one, I was like, I've been through that. Like, Oh yeah. Like I can totally relate. And so it's amazing what what you guys are doing here, but I, I think that's so important. I felt the same way. Like it's, if you can't win, like one of the most recent podcasts I listened of yours, I forgot who you were talking to was saying like, she came off as aggressive because she was vocalizing her opinion too much. And I was thinking about myself and I was like, well, like, you know, here I am explaining a situation where, you know, I just wanted to be productive and constructive and keep my cool. And that was perceived as weak. So like, what, what is the middle ground? And, and I don't, I don't know that there is. And I think that's a really interesting topic to keep bringing up and talking about because like how as women are, are we supposed to succeed if we're go, if we're, if we're set up for failure essentially. Right. Like what is, and I think it makes us anxious too, right? Like knowing we have to be so conscious of how we go into conversations like that, because it might be perceived this way, or it might be perceived that way. It, it just is sort of crippling in a way. I think yeah, it and it's also, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, I think it helps that um, like sometimes just having that direct conversation with one of those male leaders, like just a really vulnerable conversation, like, Hey, I feel like I can't win. Like, I feel like you're, and, and sometimes you find those allies that are willing to have the conversation and like willing to bend, as we said, um, sometimes they're not like, you have to feel it out, but I feel like it definitely feels better to like be your, we always say authentic self at work and not feel like you're filtering and changing your personality. It's exhausting. I mean, I was a teacher for two years and like, I felt like I couldn't, I was just like this weird curated, like puppet, like talking in a different voice and all this stuff. So I'm like, I never want to go back to like, not being myself. Um, but it's just tiring when you have to like constantly think about all of your actions. And so I feel like just having that conversation with somebody and like, if they think you're weak for like expressing your vulnerabilities, then I mean, that's their problem. Um, but yeah, if, if it feels comfortable, I feel like that's a good conversation to have. Yeah. And I feel like that's why getting exposure to really strong leaders, ideally early in your career is so important, right? Because if you're exposed to, uh, leadership styles early on in your career that are explosive, or, or maybe there's, there's something else that's, you know, challenging in a leader style, you, you might think that's the right way to lead. Um, and so I think like making sure you have a mentor you really trust or joining a team where like you've really vetted the leadership and you feel comfortable that they're going to support you and you're going to learn from them is really, really important because then you build up the confidence later in your career when you hit these bumps to be able to say like, no, I'm not just going to change my leadership style because this is how this company works. You, you have that background and that experience to say like, you know, I've seen leaders work in this way or that way. And this works well, this doesn't work well. And so like, this is my authentic self. That's so interesting. I'm so glad that you 
brought that up because I've actually never thought about it that way before. But the first, you know, that first job that you take, that first company that you work at lays down such a foundation of what your expectations are going to be for, you know, probably at least like the next several years of your career experience and your work experience. So it, I think like you said that, and I think almost about like, like raising a child or something like that, where it's, you know, your exposure to leadership, similar to like the exposure to your parents, like you're going to just absorb that culture and those leadership styles. And you won't necessarily know you, I mean, if something's really like, you know, if there's a really fear-based, like toxic culture, I'm sure you'll sense that like something's wrong because you'll feel like your psychological safety is threatened, but you won't necessarily know that it's better anywhere else. And, you know, you might feel like threatened and you might feel even more intimidated to like leave or find something else because you feel so insecure already about your employment. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I have a funny story from early in my career and then we'll get back to like moving on from this topic. But, um, I like my first job after teaching, it was basically like, I was, it was basically my first job. Cause like my first corporate job and my manager was like, kind of negative in meetings. Like I would, it was exactly what you're saying, Monica. Like I absorbed like a sponge, these behaviors. And I was like, this is what people do in a workplace. Like she would be super negative, ask, you know, questions in like a pretty negative tone and, and all this stuff. And I started to like emulate that. And, and luckily one of the, um, one of the female leaders in the company that wasn't my boss, but kind of adjacent, like literally pulled me out of a meeting one time, or maybe we were on our way out and she's like, Hey, can I talk to you? And I was like, Oh my God. And she was like, Hey, you know, um, like so-and-so is being negative, but I just want you to know, like, that's not going to get you anywhere. Like, that's not like a great quality to emulate. Um, like, I know you see her doing it, but just so you know, like, that's not something that's respected here. And, and so it was like, it was so jarring. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> but, but I'm so glad she told me that because, you know, you just kind of see things happening and you think that maybe that's how you act. And that's how, you know, she was a manager. So clearly she was doing something right. Um, but like it, it takes some like kind of, uh, jarring feedback. What is it called? Radical candor, uh, to break out of that stuff sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's so yeah. And like, thank goodness she did pull you aside and say that to you yeah. so that you like understood that there was another side that you're another direction that you could go in. Yeah. And now I notice when I'm doing it, sometimes I don't change it, but I know when I'm being negative and I know I'm like predisposed to do that. So um, so I have to like really look out for it, but I don't always choose to change my behavior. <laughs> so sometimes you shouldn't, because sometimes it's, you know, there, that voice also needs to be heard of like, why are we doing this? Right. And I will this seems like voice. a bad idea. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> totally. Um, so with, with that sort of in mind and, you know, the fact that you've come sort of head to head with, with other leadership styles and the extra effort that's required on your part to still advocate for what you know to be your own authentic leadership style. How has that ever led to like burnout for you? Because it, it sounds like a lot, it takes a toll 
um, emotionally and psychologically to have to carry that while also running a team? Uh, it, it definitely has led to burnout. Um, and, you know, with, with every job and experience I go into and not to sound cheesy, I really do, whether it's the right role for me or not, I do try to take learnings away from it. So like I can look back on my, you know, every company I've been with and be like, you know, this wasn't right for me. It was so obvious, but like, this is what I'm going to like do differently move going into my next role or be, be more aware of going into my next role. So like a hundred percent, you know, those types of experiences lead to burnout. I think, you know, what was challenging for me is to try and find, you know, what my level of comfort was with like a certain, a certain level of uh, misunderstanding or different styles, like whatever it may be versus like acknowledging like, Hey, this really isn't right for me. Like it's, it's time to move on and, and find a better fit. Um, but, but yeah, like it's opened my eyes a lot as I go into every new role, sort of now I know the questions that I want to ask as I'm, you know, talking to a company to, to really not only have them vet, am I the right fit for them, but are they the right fit for me? Cause I think there's a lot of that work you can do up front, um, which I'm, again, I'm learning as I go, the right questions to ask. Like a lot of times a company seems really cool and it seems like you'll fit right in. Then you get in there and you realize like maybe the culture is not for you or your team, you know, you don't mesh with them or the product doesn't interest you. Like there's a lot of ground to, to cover when you're going through, you know, a set of interviews and very often the interviews are aimed at the company getting to know the candidate. Um, but it's really important for the candidate to also be vetting the company um, because like, that's just as important finding your right fit as it is for them to find the right fit for them. Any like red flags that you, you know, have, have seen interviewing at other companies or anything to look out for? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, for me, like it really is about like the human connection. Again, I understand like a company needs to vet my skills, but like, if it's very much like a checklist of them asking you questions and there's, there's no like getting to know you, like sometimes it's even nice for a company to be like, what do you like to do outside of work? Or um, like, what are you passionate about in life? Um, and it sort of shows they want to understand your human side. Like you're not joining a company just to be a robot. Um, you're hopefully joining a team that you can collaborate with and there's good transparency. Um, so that's one thing I look for. The other thing is, I mean, for me personally, culture is just so, so important. Um, and so I really like seeing that a company has values. Um, and I think you have to dig deeper than just that, right? Like it's really easy for a company to put, these are our three values on, on their website, but like, how do you live your values? What do values truly mean for, mean to you? And I think that that bleeds into the culture of the company as well. And, um, you know, early on in my career, culture wise, I was looking for something very different. Like I wanted to know like, okay, cool. You do like happy hours and, you know, there's a huge social aspect. Um, and now further down in my career, like I still want to make, make those relationships and connections at work, um, but in a different way. And so I think it's important to sort of like understand what you're looking for culturally, um, and then sort of vet that out as you're having the conversation. So those are just a few things that, that come top of mind for me. The other thing, uh, as we've been talking a lot about leadership, I know that's another thing I've learned is that 
vetting the leadership is really, really important. Even if you're in a junior role, like you want to know, you know, does the leadership have a vision for the company? And like, how does that translate into to the product strategy that we're working on? Um, do I have the opportunity to engage with, with leaders or is it mostly through my manager? Like you want to know accessibility to your leadership. Um, and so I think that's, that's something I missed a lot in my interviews in terms of asking the right questions. Um, and so something now I'll also ask is like, what is the leadership style? Like, is it really transparent? Is it, uh, you know, are they super strict? Whatever it may be. Um, those are all like questions you can ask in an interview as a candidate that'll give you a little bit more transparency into how the business operates. And I feel like you can kind of suss out sometimes if they give you like quick one word answer, like you can tell how truthful they're being if they share anecdotes or actual examples of the ways that they either live their values or translate product vision into, you know, tasks or roadmaps. Um, I was just talking to my old, an old manager who now works at Amazon and he was like, yeah, in the interview, um, there are, we have 14 values and I was like, 14, like, how can you even have 14 values? I mean, hope no one on Amazon, right. please explain it to me if you're listening, but like, it's just stuff like that. I'm a little wary of, cause it seems super like manicured and manufactured. Like how'd you come to like 14? Right. Is how can, how can everyone embody these 14 values? That sounds crazy to me. Um, but the value things is hard. The values thing is hard because a lot of us have values slapped on the wall. We talk about them, but you don't know if they're actually lived out. Um, and I, I find that like exactly what you were saying. If someone's just like evaluating like a checklist, your technical ability, especially for technical interviews, if it's just like they barely speak and just have you code or whatever, or whatever the equivalent is for product management, like, and they're not engaging with you and at all trying to learn anything about you that's a good indication of what the team is going to be like like yeah that's not how I interview people um so I think I think that's like a great thing to look out for yeah you have to be able to like imagine yourself in a room working with this person yeah like sitting next to them right Right. yeah and and if like you're literally going to be heads down all day like there's no interaction there's no personability like you just have to keep that in mind that like that that's what you'll be going into woof (laughs) I'm just curious like what what is the technical portion of a product interview like like do you usually prepare something is it usually they ask you to prepare something in advance or are they like giving you questions on the fly like asking you to design some sort of feature like experiment just based on like some limited information that they supply? I've had product interviews all over the place. Um, I can tell you what I did when I was, when I was in my last role, I did a ton of product interviews and um, we would do sort of like one-on-one interviews with key people on the team. And then I would give candidates a prompt that said something like, um, and this is probably inspired by Headspace. Imagine you're the PM of a meditation app. Um, and like retention is down by, uh, 50% this month. Like how would you approach building out a plan to improve retention? Like you, like I tried to keep it sort of general, like you don't want to lead them into like develop a strategy or write a process. You just sort of want to see how they organically would approach a data-driven problem. Right. Which is very, very frequently as PMs, that's what we're given saying like this number drops, you know, go figure out how to fix it. 
Um, and so most of, most of the interviews people have put together sort of like a presentation, um, and talk about first and foremost, like the problem and then, you know, how they'd build a strategy around that. And then like, ultimately how they'd break that down into a roadmap and work with engineering and, you know, all the way through to execution. And I think that, uh, you know, for me, that's what I wanted to see that like, they understood how to think end to end about like the whole life cycle of a problem, not jumping into the solution. Um, and then also making sure it wasn't fluffy, right? Cause like you can find these processes, you know, if you Google them. And so I think there's a certain level of depth that you want to see them get into as well. Like, did they, you know, go look at, sorry to say their name, calm and like, you know, pull data from them and, um, read all the reviews in the app store. And, um, so you, so, so that's what I look for is like, are they going, do they understand the end to end flow? Like, can they come in here and do it? But then are they going deep enough that like they truly understand it? Um, and like, you know, when they get to talking about scope and engineering, like, have they done estimates? And if so, like, where did those estimates come from? How would they truly get those estimates with working with engineering? Um, so that's generally how I approach it. And I've had to do a bunch of those projects myself um, as I interviewed elsewhere. Um, I know as you go to places like Google, you know, the interview process becomes pretty robust and they probably do a lot of on the spot, uh, deeper dives, but, um, you know, it's been all over the place from, from the companies that I've interviewed with in the past. So I want to talk more about your recent transition because you're launching or you've launched now your own consulting business, um, which is super exciting seen the website it's fabulous <laughs> and you. um but how I want to dive into how because that's obviously like a huge transition um and a huge leap and so I want to hear about your thought process and your decision making process of when you felt comfortable when you even had the first thought of that might be something that you would want to do like was it something you were mulling on for a while or was there some sort of like specific turning point or or catalyst that happened at your in your previous role that kind of got the wheels turning for you yeah so one of my least favorite questions is when people ask like where do you want to be in five years or ten years and um so glad I didn't write that in my questions <laughs> yeah. I would have nipped it in the bud uh but you know and I've always felt that way about that question because people would ask me it, you know, when I was so early on in my career and I was like, it makes you feel like, should I know the answer to this? Like, I don't know, you know, you see all the time, you know, product managers going into marketing or, you know, becoming engineers and engineers becoming PMs or, you know what I mean? Like we can be so fluid in our careers. And I feel like um, deciding that too early can almost lock you into a path that may not you know, be what you really want to do. And so it's interesting because I was asked that question a lot very early on, but I always knew I, I didn't really want to be like a chief product officer at a big company or a CEO at a big company. Like that was, that was never what I envisioned for myself for, for a number of different reasons. Um, I always really did envision myself like sort of going off of my own and starting, starting my own business. And so um, truthfully, I, I thought it would be further down the road for me, but I feel like it's what they, what they tell you about having a baby. Like if you're waiting to feel ready, you're never, 
going to feel ready. Like you can always be more financially stable. You can always, you know, wait until your friends have more kids, like whatever the excuse may be. And I think that's how I felt about this business. It's like, I was like, oh, like that'll be like sort of like much later in my career. And then I hit a point where I was like, I I, I knew I was going to leave my last company and I had two options. It was, you know, either I, you know, jump into another, you know, tech startup or, or corporate type job, um, or I take the leap and just do this. And when I started trying to think about why should I not do it? I couldn't really come up with reasons. Like the only reason was you could get more experience. Like you could work for another 10 years and build up more experience to do this even better. Um, but so what I did essentially was, you know, every good thing starts in a spreadsheet, obviously. So I put together a spreadsheet and I basically like self-assessed myself. Like I laid out all the important skills of a product person. Um, and then my second column was like life readiness, you know, thinking about things like, are you ready to like mentally, financially, physically, whatever it may be to, to leap into the unknown, essentially, like you don't know what's going to happen. And then I rated myself on like yellow, red, yellow, green of like how solid I was in every area. And what was really interesting was when it came to my skills, like I was green on a lot. Um, and then I had some reds and I had some yellows, but they weren't like the critical skills in my opinion for me to, to go off and do this. Um, and then sort of the same thing with like the life readiness when I tested, it was like, yeah, there's some risk, but you know, like if you go off and do this, you can probably go like find another job if need be, if this doesn't pan out, like you want it to. Um, and so I just like decided to take the risk and, you know, have been trying to, to work my butt off and network and connect with everyone. And, um, so far it's been good. And so like no, no regrets, uh, as of yet. How, like who, who taught you though, like how to start a business? Like, did you read a book? Like, did you read, like, I'm genuinely curious because there's just so, I mean, there's so much logistics involved, right. In terms of like setting up like financial stuff, like tax stuff, like you, did you like incorporate yourself? Like, I, I find, I feel like there's just so every time I start to think about it, I get like, I start like sweating. I feel like overwhelmed. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm sweating as you listed all those off because I'm still figuring it out. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, There's a lot to it. And so again, you know, this is my type A-ness coming out. Like I just created a spreadsheet with, these are the 50 things you need to do. And I created it in a way that I was like, okay, the next person who does this, I'm going to share my spreadsheet with them because like, there's so much I didn't know. And in through the process of, you know, like, yes, I did incorporate, like setting up my business, creating a separate bank account. Like literally last week I was trying to figure out taxes. And luckily I had like, you know, someone I could call to like help me out, but I could never have done it on my own. Um, And so there's a lot to it. And so I think it's like twofold of like, you know, try to align yourself with people who have either done this or like are the right resources to support you or just like sort of account for some time of, trial and error, like even incorporating, I was like, you know, you can self-incorporate online now, which is what I did. Um, or you can get a lawyer and go through them. 
um, which is better. And so I ended up self-incorporating, but then after I did that, you know, ran into a bunch of problems and documents I needed. And it was just like, my head was spinning. And so I don't think you can read a book and be like ready to go. If I were to go back, I would like meet with someone who had done this before and been like, okay, what's your, what's your checklist? Like, who do you recommend I use? Did you hit any like bumps in the road? And then I would have learned from their experience. I think a lot of this is, even if you're not starting your own business, it's like still transferable, like just, you know, like you'll never be feel fully ready for that new job or to start interviewing, for example, or, you know, like we all, it's so easy to get comfortable and, and be like, I'm kind of like, do I really need to do this? But I think like you kind of feel it in your gut sometimes where it's like either time to move on or maybe time to change your career like Monica and I did. And like, it's never going to be like, yeah, you're never going to have all your ducks in a row lined up, ready to go, but you just figure it out. And like, yeah. what's the worst that can happen? Like, you know, if you're, if you're, I can name so many things right now. Like, I, was, <laughs> I can name so many bad things that could happen. See, I'm the opposite. I don't think through anything. Like, I really just am like, I'm going to do this. And I go, like, it doesn't take me long to come up, come to a decision on anything. Um, and it's been fine. I've never been bitten. So, so it's like, <laughs> but you did that too. Like, it's not, you had your spreadsheets. Yes. But like, you already were kind of committed to going down that road. Yeah. I think there's like, I just hit a point where I was like, your happiness really matters. You know, like, in, I know like people say this all the time, but work is where you're spending most of your time. And so like, I've definitely been in scenarios where I've stayed places longer than I should have, because there's the fear of like, what's next, or is the grass really greener? But I do think as you get older, you start to realize like, you just like, you should be happy every day. And so if it's not doing what you're doing now, that's a, that's a risk worth taking. And, and that's sort of like my philosophy and my perspective on now, how I move forward in my career. I love that. I love being comfortable though. Unpopular <laughs> opinion. I don't know. I get, I get lazy. And so whenever mm-hmm. I feel myself getting lazy, then I don't feel happy because I'm like, I know I'm, I know I can do so much more and it's just yeah, kind of that I, like, yeah. It's not, it's not like a need to be productive all the time. Cause I certainly I've, I've gotten over that a little bit. It's more of just like, I feel like I can do more. Like, I feel like my, my talents and my skills are not being fully utilized. And that's why I did the boot camp, you know? And I think when you mm-hmm. get to that point, you have to reassess. Um, Were you yeah. both in the same boot camp? No, mm-hmm. we just, we just kind of had the same timeline of doing oh, it. Interesting. Yeah. So clearly the boot camp works because look at both of you. Yep. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> um, I, I think that's a I think that's a really good point. Like it's I I have a very difficult time in general, like gauging happiness. Like I just I don't even really know. It's it feel it seems like a, a very like complicated emotion to me and if I ask myself, like, are you happy? I've, I feel like I don't know how to answer that, how to answer that question. It's like, am I, I don't know, like what, what goes into that, but, but to Taylor's point, it's, um, yeah, when I start to feel stir crazy is like when I feel 
lazy is lazy is definitely a good word unmotivated Mm -hmm. um just sort of like coasting yeah I guess um and and also and and the reason why I left the last place was I at was just not seeing any growth trajectory ahead of where I currently was it's like there's no role really above mine and that wasn't because I was in a senior role um there just what it was like there just wasn't really like any other options so I mean that was a shitty situation to be in but at the same time had I not that had that sort of like wake up call or I guess had I not been in in such a um a ceiling where it's the glass ceiling seemed to be so low I don't think I would have made a change because I do have a tendency to overthink things and I could have come up with like a thousand and one reasons why it was a horrible idea to quit my job without having something else lined up right I think like what both of you said it comes back to like are you motivated and excited yeah um and the excited reason- is like a huge keyword yeah. too yeah. like if you're finding yourself you know not wanting to go the extra mile or like wanting to shut down at like two every day props to people who can do that though mm-hmm. um like it may just mean like you're disinterested right and same with not having growth opportunities if you can't grow it's like why work hard if like you know there's no opportunity and I think like that lack of motivation is a clear sign of like hey you know this may not be right anymore it's also like those moments of like being in the flow state or whatever um like having that a couple times a week where you're like so into what you're doing that you're like, you know, time, you're not like staring at the clock. Um, disinterested is a really good word for it. Cause you can be like, yeah, fine. Everything's fine. But if you just, yeah, you don't see yourself volunteering for the next opportunity yeah. or like leveling up or just volunteering to do anything extra, yeah. like, please don't <laughs> probably a good sign. And also not like not seeing someone at your current company that like you wish you could be, you know, like in, in an ideal world, like you have that job. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good indication too, I think. Yeah, for sure. Or being like, oh my God, thank God I don't have their job. Like that looks like. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I feel now seeing like the up, you know, like a lot of managers, I'm like, that's a lot terrible. of work. Terrible. Like, a lot of work. Seems yeah. awful. Um, I thought a lot about like going, you know, like wanting to be a manager and, and go into leadership and on that track. And I do think that there's aspects of it that would be super rewarding, but I also just think it's like freaking hard. And I do not think, I, I know for a fact I could not sit in Zoom meetings all day because I can barely tolerate like two Zoom meetings a day, including my 10 minute stand up. <laughs> I've I've had this conversation with engineers so many times where they're like, I could never do what you as PMs do. Like all you do is like talk to people and sit in meetings all day. And I'm like, PMs are always like, I could never do what you do as engineering. Like you just like code all day. You get so much stuff done. You don't have to have all those fluffy conversations. And so it's so it's always, I always think it's so funny to like see that dichotomy between the two teams. I definitely don't get so much done every single day. It's 
Let me dispel that myth right now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely less with a puppy. Although I actually don't know because there's some weeks where I'll have literally like no meetings and I'll get so annoyed at myself that I got so distracted. Like sometimes having forced breaks in the day, which a lot of times now is like puppy potty time and play time. It forces me to kind of like get my shit together. Um, and like, you know, like curb my online shopping or like whatever else I'm looking at because I have it just like just having that structure. Like right. in my brain, I'll see a day of no meetings and be like, oh my God, like this day is going to be awesome. Like I'm going to get so much done. And then it's 3 p.m. And it's like, I've done one thing and I oh, haven't done it that well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Although laundry I, doesn't make you feel weirdly productive. It does. It really, yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. <laughs> last um, week, this, this is not on topic, but last week I, I went to go down to do my laundry and I like noticed that the the woman that lives next to me was like going down at the same time. So I like sprinted ahead of her, but her, like, she's kind of older and her, her uh, daughter, I guess was also here and she beat me. And I was like, Oh, you're doing laundry. And she's like, yeah, but I need all three. And I was just like, what? I beat her down. Okay. Like I get to go in. I feel like, but I was really nice. There's only three laundry machines and she needed all of them. She needed all of them. Like what the heck? What? When have you like, ever done three loads of laundry at once? Seriously, like, have you not done it in a month? Right. <laughs> that also just shouldn't be like allowed. It should be I know, like one at what, a time. If, if someone's waiting, you get one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna like argue with them. That would have been so weird of me, but right. I would not have done that. I would have been like, oh sure, yeah, you can have one. Yeah, of course. You should put a little note on the machine. <laughs> making the rules very clear yeah <laughs> you should wait taylor post about it on linkedin <laughs> let's, t- let's let's turn the heat up on this that's totally. let's call bullshit on that behavior totally. oh my gosh um, yeah. that'll go viral <laughs> Steffi, i i, I want to make sure because we always like to um touch on like the non-technical aspects of of our guest lives as well and i know for you real estate is a huge thing in your life and you were definitely my first friend to buy a real grown-up house um a few years ago like before most of our other friends were even thinking about it and I know a lot of people are actively like looking to buy or at least like lurking on Zillow so what advice as someone who you know self-proclaimed type a and makes all the lists and knows all the steps what advice do you have for people who are like first-time buyers or like curious yeah first I uh, appreciate your landlords because once you're your own landlord you know you <laughs> do everything yourself uh which is you know a challenge so I'm still learning um but but you know on a more serious note there's so many things I've learned as I've, you know, dabbled in real estate that I just wish someone taught me. Like, I wish we were educated on what your credit score is and, you know, how you can improve it or what can really hurt it. Um, or like, you know, there's so many little things like that, you know, like how much do you have to put down to buy a house? And there's so many 
misconceptions. Like I think a lot of people off the bat are like, I can't buy a house, but like, maybe you can, you, you just like need some information to help you better understand, you know, what it looks like for you and for every person, it's going to be different. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I learned by experience, like as I, you know, started getting into real estate, I, I, you know, with every deal, I learned something different. Um, but for people who are just, you know, thinking about their first home, like, to me, if I could go back, the first thing I would do would be to align myself with people who are in this industry, like talk to a lender, um, which by the way, you don't have to know a lender. You can reach, reach out to any bank and like ask someone to chat with you. Um, or if you know a real estate agent, like spend some time talking to them. Like there's so many tactics to like, you know, especially in a hot market, like it is now how to negotiate the best deal. Like what are some tips and tricks? And um, these are all things that are you know, I haven't found good resources on online, like the best resources I've found are in talking, you know, to people who really know this space. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think education is like step number one. And then I think, you know, like you can plan towards that, like maybe right now is not the right time for you, but at least, you know, being equipped with the information of what you need um, and maybe like what areas you can look in and that kind of stuff gives you sort of like a better understanding of, you know, what your timeline looks like or what you need in place to, to really get there. So, um, I'd say like, I'd encourage everyone to sort of like be open to it. Don't shut the door immediately, but definitely spend some time, you know, learning a little bit more about the space. Did you make a spreadsheet with all your escrow to do's? Oh, I have so many spreadsheets. Taylor, you should see my Google drive. It's like, <laughs> I full I've, my folders are all organized. I have spreadsheets and every, like it's, it would probably make, you know, some people nauseous, but, uh, Monica, I feel like would, would be down with it. I'm so I'm like salivating, just thinking about it. You would be, I I'm like, so weird. I have always wanted to be like a planner person. Like, in fact, I have one right here and like, I haven't written in it in like months and I just, I have it out sitting in front of me. Cause I need to like organize some stuff but I haven't opened it today. And I just like, I always want to be one of those people, but I just, I just keep it in my head and like somehow it works. Thank God. But I can't like writing it down. is just, it's not sustainable for me, but I like really want to be one of those color coding people. I don't think you do. Like I see I <laughs> people like you, like sometimes I make lists just to make a list. Like there's nothing that really needs to be on a list. <laughs> like it's my favorite hobby time to make a list and so, I do make lists actually I do make lists mm-hmm. so it's, I guess I it's like getting yeah. it out of my head and onto paper and then I feel like like if I I just feel like if I don't write it down I'm more of I don't do spreadsheets as much but I am like a mega calendar scheduler like I mm. remember I even remember in college Stephanie when I would have a busy day I would like schedule in like the time I was going to shower and then, <laughs> oh, and then it would be like library for like six hours. And then it would be like, get ready for party. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, would be, like, they would be like stupid, like they would be like stupid things. But I just remember like patting myself on the back and be like, this is what work-life balance looks like. <laughs> oh, I know. But, but like, I think being go, I wish I was more like go with the flow, like how oh, something pops up, like no biggie, like. And that Taylor, I feel like people like you like can probably are probably more flexible and can adjust quicker. 
Yeah. I mean, when you were talking about all the escrow stuff, like I just, I just bought this place and I went through all of that and I had literally no idea. And I also didn't really want to ask my parents for help that much because it's just too much, too many cooks in the kitchen, like with all the questions. So I just basically like asked my lender every single questions. Like I remember the first day of escrow, they're like, okay, please wire like 3% of the down payment. And I'm like, huh, where is this coming from? Where did, or like, like they said it in a way that I should know that the 3% is due the day after us. I was like, where, where would I know this? Right. <laughs> so I just, I just, I'm also one of those people that unapologetically asks questions and I don't care if people think I'm stupid. Like, I mean, I do in my job, but like other aspects of my life, I'll be like, huh? Like, what is this? Tell me, please tell me what I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. Am I supposed to know this? Where is that? Like, so I, I was just like, I'm not going to know what's coming at me at every step of that process. But like if other, like so many people in the world buy property, like I have to be able to get through this. Like there's right. no way that they're all smarter than me. So I, have, I think I can handle it. I mean, it is probably like one of the biggest investments you're going to make. So like asking a million and a half questions is a great thing, right? Like before you hand over that check, or I guess I should say wire the money. Um, like it's, it's good to be like, okay, like I trust these people. Like they're probably gonna, you know, put my money in the right place. Yeah. And all those things you have to read. I'm like, I do not know what I'm reading, but sounds okay. (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah. Great. (laughs) It's worked so far. So nothing nothing has come back to bite me yet. (laughs) This truly (laughs) has been like the most fun I've had it on a Tuesday night in probably a year. So, Oh my God. (laughs) You got to come to LA and do a live one with us. If you give me (laughs) one of those mics that I know both of you have. Taylor has one. I don't. And like the, the light ring things. Like I I have that. We both have that. I, want to I had to throw mine away or I actually returned it on Amazon. Cause you know, they take anything back. You return was- something on Amazon. Yeah. Oh my- I'm a big Amazon returner, please. Oh my I God. Love- that just sounds like so much work. Oh my gosh. I love it. But I my, the that. ring light was like making weird noises and like sounded like it was going to explode. Like it was like a high pitch beeping. It was just, I, I couldn't oh. use it because it would be beeping during this Ooh, thing. I know. That's scary. Something I, exactly um, I, I, I refuse. I've never returned something on Amazon. I'm like, it's not me neither. Oh my God. It's literally, you don't even need a box or a label. You just take it to UPS. You guys, come on, come on. What? Yeah. You just, you just hand it, you hand it naked over. (laughs) You just, they take it (laughs) and you show them a code and they scan it. (laughs) What? Oh my God. I had no idea. Is that easy? This is like a whole new world. You don't even need a printer. Oh wow. my God. That's why I wouldn't return it. Cause I thought I was like, I have to get my own box. It's not worth it. No. Yeah. Wow. Game changer. Yeah. That's, I think that's the most important thing I learned tonight. Truly. I'm truly. not even, yeah. I'm not going to think about all the money I could have saved, but right, right. we'll talk about that later. You probably still can. You can return things like so far after you bought them. Interesting. And fully without the box. Like I took the ring light in my hand assembled <laughs> and I said, here you go. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my God. The UPS people must love you. I returned towels that I had washed. I didn't use them, but I had washed them. And then I just decided I didn't like them. And I just handed towels over to the UPS person. Oh my God. (laughs) Does it have to be UPS? It can't be like the United States Postal Service? Definitely not USPS. I think FedEx maybe. (laughs) Can you imagine 
walking into a post office and like oh my god no Joe they would a, like an armful of towels and she's holding a little a little light they do yeah. not wow <laughs> that's a game changer yeah I mean you're wow. welcome you're welcome yeah seriously thank you I, I need yeah. to thank you for that of course. that's what I'm here for <laughs> well thanks so much Stephanie this has been so fun um now you're an honorary member of imposter and whenever you're in LA you can do a live episode with us maybe we'll do like a live tour or something once we have like millions of followers I mean, don't offer why, what would we tour? We would do just like, no, no, no. Like we would, we would sell tickets for people to see us. Oh, like we're going on tour. I thought you were literally talking about like, we're giving a tour of (laughs) our, of our apartment. No, we are the performers. It's I've had a, I've had a long day. I've had a very long day in case you. A tour of our apartment. (laughs) I will, I will emcee the tour of your apartment, the tour of actual tour. I am there. This was the best. I had so much fun and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Steffi. Okay. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye for real. Bye for real. Bye.